You are listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 40. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. All right, welcome back to another episode of Addiction Support Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. This week, we are jumping into episode, I guess the second episode in a series of six, but it is episode number 40, and it is with Dr. Dean Robb, and we are going into discovering your inner gold and doing the work. In this episode, we jump into all the different ways that we can think of that people use to avoid really avoiding that pain or the fear of pain and the grieving process, but what happens once you go ahead and do that, what's on the inside and what's on the other side of that. So I hope that you enjoy. As always, all the notes and contact information can be found in the show notes at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 40. Be sure to reach out to Dr. Rob if you'd like to work with him or find out more about working with him. He would love to hear from you. I hope that you enjoy this episode. We're back this week with Dr. Dean Robb. Dr. Robb, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, I do want to acknowledge, so this will be this week when we're recording it, recording on Friday. The podcast, which is episode 39, is not out on Thursday. It'll be out later on today. So I apologize to everybody that looks forward to getting the podcast. It will be coming out. Um, and I'm really excited. I, I'm looking forward to working on my own personal growth today as we go through this conversation. And so we're going to be talking about discovering your inner gold and doing the work. Yes. So, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Tell me, um, I'm not even sure where to begin. <laughs> Tell me what, where to begin with this one. Well, let's start with inner gold before we can talk about you know, discovering it, it might be uh, sensible to talk a little bit about what at least I believe it is. I, my belief in my experience in working with a number of people is that, you know, we are given gifts. Um, those gifts, I believe, are largely inborn and they're, um, aptitudes, they are um, interests, loves, passions, uh, capabilities that manifest very, very early in life, You uh, very often in childhood. Um, but unfortunately, well, at least in, you know, dysfunctional and um, unloving households, th they don't get supported. Hmm. They, they end up being um, buried, suppressed in the effort to, to please our parents who all too often want us to be what they want us to be instead of what God created us to be. There's, there's an inherent conflict in the human condition, even if you're not dysfunctional. That is to say, it's sort of the, con the conflict between the individual and 
what you might call or I call the collective. Um, the collective to me is all those forces that want us to fit in and become part of the collective. And the problem with that is that individuals, at least on certain levels, never ever fit in. Um, that's what it means to be an individual. Otherwise, you would be some kind of uh, carbon copy. Um, I'm talking about parents mm -hmm. who want us to, I'm working with a person right now, uh, for instance, who grew up in a very traditional family from um, the Middle East, which is very, um, paro uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Patriarchal. Okay. The father sort of functions like a miniature ki king. Wow. Um, and the father uh, wants the child to, f to follow a certain direction in life that's associated with security. That's, and there's nothing wrong with that. So but almost coming from the parents' fear. It is. Is what's holding the kids back, and adult children too. That's what holds yes. us back. Absolutely. Their own fear. But also uh, to honor the family. Right. There's a lot of, um, they're called honor-based cultures. And the parents tend to steer their children into uh, areas of life that they see as bringing honor to the family. That's just one small example. It doesn't matter what the child wants. That's kind of completely irrelevant to the picture. Wow. And it's not just that, that situation. I think almost all children, at least from dysfunctional families, are not really supported in their individual desires, needs, pursuits, but are encouraged strongly to fit into societal needs. That's reinforced by schools often, by uh, religious backgrounds who want us to, you know, be molded into a certain um, way of believing and behaving and, and looking. It could be our ethnic group, could be our neighborhood you grow up into, um, and society at large. There's a tremendous number of forces that are um, pushing against the individual. It's funny. I'm sitting here talking to you, and right in front of me, I have on my wall a quote that is catching my eye, and I would like to read it. It's from the poet E.E. E. Cummings. Have you ever heard of E.E. E. Cummings? I have. I'm not super familiar with that work, but I've heard of the name. You have to listen to this. It says, I'm going to read it. I have to look away. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best day and night to make you like everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. Wow. 
That's what I'm talking about. And the forces are strong, just reshape us. And the problem with that is the person can lose complete sight of who they are and become totally out of touch with their inner being and be pushed into situations that are like oil and water to them. They, they do not fit in. Uh, that you know certainly happened to me. And I know many, many, many people that happened to. And down deep, those gifts never stop, never, never go away because they're inborn. But they're pushed down. Now, I want to stress, this happens in every society, but in a dysfunctional family, it happens even more uh, in an extreme manner because the child is built to focus entirely on the parents hmm. and sort of take care of their needs and lose touch with their own. Yeah, I'm thinking through some of my family and extended family and that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. to me. So the journey to me in recovery uh, and in really life itself is to get back in touch with the original self and to reclaim it, uh, rediscover it, and begin to live a life in alignment with it. But there are usually um, wounds, psychic wounds associated with having to repress all of that as a child to serve the needs of the parents, you know, the school, the religion, etc., etc., And recapturing that inner gold means having to, unfortunately, reconnect with and re-experience those psychic wounds. And that is challenging. It's often... Painful painful and difficult and I, I have come up with my own little um, list of things I've noticed over the years that people do to help distract them from that pain that is is there and buried the the most obvious one is addictions, all kinds of addictions. It doesn't have to be substance abuse. It can be compulsive. Uh, well, I guess that's a form of substance abuse, compulsive eating. It could be shopping, could be sex, could be gambling. Porn. Gaming. Porn. Gaming is a big addiction. Gaming. Yeah. The, these are all, in a way, distractions that, they keep us feeling good on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, but, you know, our defenses against yeah. coming in contact with that wound. Another one is what I call stop running, and that means letting go of what I call various life projects, meaning 
getting involved in very exciting but totally dysfunctional relationships. A lot of people love the excitement and the drama of dysfunctional relationships because they feel like healthy ones are boring. Right. And the real thing that's going on there, first of all, they're in a rut. They don't know how to get out of it. But number two, that level of excitement keeps the, the level of arousal up and it, it, it distracts them away from the core of pain that's hmm. underneath there. So another thing is first putting down addictions. Another thing is putting down these kinds of life projects. It could be not just a relationship. It could be a job that you get paid a tremendous amount of money for, but you're working 80 hours a week. Yeah. Workaholism is another life project that um, our culture in particular loves. Yes. So it gives a people a, a feeling like they're really doing well when in fact what they're doing is running. Interesting. You know. I would put maybe like helping other people to the extent where it's hurting yourself in there too. Absolutely. That mm -hmm. is part of codependency. Right. It's getting absorbed into other people's um, dysfunction. And that gives you, you know, an ego stroke. I'm the helpful person. And there's really nothing wrong with the question is, to what extent? Right. And are your needs being met? Are your needs being met, or are you losing yourself in that? Right. And and again, in my view, that's another uh, dis distraction mm -hmm. from having to stop and look inside at what happened to you, and ultimately discover who you really are. Yeah. Um, another one is uh, life coping strategies that you picked up as a child that helped you to survive in a dysfunctional and sometimes um, downright abusive or violent uh, childhood. What would some of those coping strategies be? Well, codependency is, okay. is certainly certainly one of them because um, the child turned their attention to the parent and turned all their focus on uh, pleasing the parent. So people-pleasing mm. is a big one. Um, you know, never saying no is, is another one. Um, Self, there's a big word. I can't think of the other word that's shorter. Abnegation. That's a meaning, big word. Self-abnegation. Yeah, abnegation means sort of putting yourself down in deference to other people. Oh, that is a big one. Especially, I think, women tend to do that a lot. Yes. yes. Not, not to say that men don't, but that's a big one for women. Absolutely. Um 
I had one, and it, it went in this year, and then it, it came out of this year just a moment ago. Let me see if I can uh, remember what it was. It'll come back. Let me come back to that as, as they come to me. Okay. Another one that I've noticed is people get absorbed in relationships and friendships with a bunch of people that they really shouldn't be friends with. Those people don't support them. Hmm. Um, I call that the bar friends. When I was younger, I had... Like my best friend, I love her to death and we had this great relationship and she had some friends that were great friends, but then she had her bar friends and like every weekend or whenever she'd be out with these people and like, if you guys were all sober, like you wouldn't even probably say hi to each other on the street. And it was always really odd to me, I, not to pick yes. on people at the bar, but <laughs> that's yeah. the type of things I'm thinking about. Yeah. The, 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 the common characteristic of this type of friend, by the way, is that they want you to stay the same. Mm, that crab mentality pulling you back into the bucket. Well, they don't, when you start changing, they start getting uncomfortable and they try to draw you back in uh, because it's a, it's a network of people who are uh, have in common the same kind of dysfunction and kind of, co-sign each other's BS mm. if saying and and when you start differentiating from them they can turn on you or drop you like a hot potato that type yeah. of thing and that could be family or friends that doesn't necessarily have to be just friends a lot of times families are notorious for that and it's hurtful Good. it's painful it's very painful and a lot of so that's difficult because um, recovery often means um, finding entirely new sets of friends and a new support system. Um, not necessarily everyone in your old world, but what I'm saying is that very often people have these networks of relationships that were based on what I call their their old self. Yeah. I'm going to interject just really fast talking to people who are the friends and family versus somebody that's um, in recovery. One of the things that I think that we need to be aware of, and I've said this many times, if you love someone that has an addiction, you need help yourself. And part of that problem is we may not even know it, but a lot of times we are the ones that are pulling that person back and we're yes. wanting them to stay the same, even though we want them to change and get healthy. And so I think that it's important for everyone, if you love someone, that you get help too, because you may not even, you probably have no idea that you're doing it. You probably are just loving them the best that you know how. I agree with that. That's why there's Al-Anon, and that's why there's Codependence Anonymous, because of these people that um, are helping somebody else and losing themselves right. in the process and don't know it. Um, so it, these are all things that are, by the way, I don't want to overwhelm anybody because I'm going through this laundry, laundry list. It doesn't mean you have all of them. Right. I'm just going over ones I've seen. 
Right. You may only have one or two. So don't freak out because I'm <laughs> going, oh, this laundry list. You know, it's not like that. It's not like that. Um, here, But here's two that I see all the time. One is giving up, and this is part of being codependent, I believe, is giving up being a parent to somebody else who is your peer. Mm. You know, serving kind of a parental role to that person. It feels really good to have this person coming to you all the time and having you kind of fix them. Well, basically, you're serving a parental role right there, and you're not really, you know, peers or equals. It's an unequal relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's feeding your own ego. Like, don't be mistaken. You're not helping them. You're helping yourself. Exactly. Yes. It looks really good. Like, you're helping that person, but underneath that you're 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 helping yourself yeah. you're, you want to feel good and the the other side of the coin is those people who um don't really want to grow up mm -hmm. so they're looking for that kind of person to take care of them so they're looking yeah yeah and so they're that that person that's taking care of them is enabling them. And so that person who's in the one down position doesn't have to look at themselves, you know. Hmm. Um, so what does someone do? Let's say that somebody realizes, hey, you know what, I'm doing a few of these things. What's the next step? Like we we're talking about discovering their inner gold. So how how would they transition from a little bit of awareness mm -hmm. into actually going in and, and discovering their gifts? Okay, that is the next step actually because my experience is that there's kind of like, if you think, I think visually and the true self can be seen as a, a whole kind of sphere at the core of the self and there's layers around it mm -hmm. and the initial layer the outer layer is all these things that I've mentioned which are essentially distractions if you think about it they're um, keeping you from turning inward and looking at yourself the reason being is that many people don't want to do that because it's frightening and number two they're afraid un usually unconsciously afraid but they're none nonetheless afraid of the pain mm -hmm. that is under there and that's the next layer is the pain Oh, interesting. Yeah, so there's these distraction. You ever seen the movie um, Indiana Jones, the original? Yeah. Where he's running through the cave and that giant ball is running, is, you know, approaching him and he's running as fast as he can? Yep. Well, 
these strategies that I've mentioned are kind of Indiana Jones running <laughs> stay ahead as fast as he can. And the ball is the pain that's just one step behind them. So all these things are them staying one step ahead of that ball. Mm. And unfortunately, the first step is stop running, stand there and let the ball hit you. And the ball is the pain that's motivating all of this. And it is a kind of a complex tangle of uh, childhood wounds, including uh, um, grieving a childhood that they really didn't ever have. Oh, interesting. Mm hmm Yeah. Not any kind of meaningful childhood anyway. It, it could be uh, sexual abuse. It could be physical, you know, beating type abuse. It could be emotional or verbal type abuse. Spirit, spiritual abuse, abandonment, or the, a milder form of abandonment, neglect. It, it could be, um, and usually there is a very deep well of shame. Children that grow up in these kinds of families, almost without exception, are carrying a, a powerful, deep load of shame. Hmm. They're shamed by their parents. They're made to feel defective. And let me take a second here. I would like to talk about the difference between guilt and shame. Okay. People confuse them and they're not the same at all. Um, guilt is a feeling of remorse over something that you have done. And it can be helped through the process of amends with, with people. Shame, on the other hand, is a much darker um, blacker feeling and it's not associated with things that you've done it's associated with your identity it's a it's a wound to your core identity and it is a belief usually unconscious that I am utterly and completely worthless as a human being and I don't deserve good things I deserve only lousy negative experiences and it's driving people in my opinion to self-sabotage over and over because once they start getting close to some kind of success the shame kicks up and says you don't deserve that 
And so they undermine it and self-sabotage it. So the next step is to sort of peel that onion and start to unpack those wounds. I also want to just chime in for a second. It's, I think it's natural for children because as a child, we think the world revolves around us. We don't realize that things are going on outside of our reality. So as children, when something goes wrong, whether or not somebody else is blaming us, we also think, oh, I did that. This is my fault. And I think that it's natural mm -hmm. if you have all these other things going on for that shame to be there. That doesn't mean it's natural that you should feel shame because that's not a natural state of being. But I think that that's, I mean, it makes sense why that yeah. would be there and so deep. That's I, interesting. Yeah, children tend to take on uh, the blame yeah. for their parents' problems. And part of that is the parent either can literally tell them that if, you know, if it wasn't for you, I'd be X, Y, and Z, um, or you are, my father had a, his favorite expression when I was young was, your head is good for nothing but a hat rack. Oh, wow. Yeah, that type of thing. In other words, you're an idiot. Yeah. I'm far from an, from an idiot. But it also is because children are completely unequipped emotionally, because they're children, yeah. to fully experience the fact that their parents aren't there for them. Because if they did, they would disintegrate. Right. Because there's, that's all I have. My whole world, which is my parents, is nothing but a sham. Right. Well, that brings up tremendous what's called annihilation anxiety, which is exactly what it means. Me, a feeling that you are going to be extinguished, which is terrifying for children. And since they can't, they don't have the, the wherewithal to deal with that, instead, they make themselves to blame. Mm. My parents are okay. They're good. They're really good way down deep. I'm the one with the problem. And if I'm a good boy or if I'm a good girl, then they'll love me. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. It's bringing up a whole other thing about how we need to treat our children, but yes. I know that's not what this topic's about. There's obviously a lot there. So let me, so there's, a, there's some work. It can take, depending on the, the level of, you know, abuse or dysfunction, it can take a short while or a long while. And it's traveling through that and beginning to process it and sort of reintegrate it into our experience. And then what happens beautifully, um, magically, 
but it's actually not magic, it's just part of the, the healing process, is we start to discover our, our true self, that's our inner gold, the part that we had to hide away when we were kids in order to survive. Um, in, in my estimation, that is the ultimate goal of recovery, is re recovering who I really am, you know, recapturing, remembering and recovering who I really am. What are some things that you've seen that people have been able to go on and do or accomplish or be as a result of discovering their inner gold? I have one guy I've worked with off and on, and he, for many years, worked as a computer program for one of the large corporations here in New Jersey. And when he was a kid, he was involved with community theater a lot and even uh, dancing. Uh, he took some, you know, dancing lessons and stuff. And that went by the wayside um, due to parental pressure to be safe and successful. Mm -hmm. And he spent, you know, 20 years being a dutiful computer programmer. And, uh, you know, basically, if he was really honest, hated every day of it. Okay. And he reached a point through, you know, our work together where he grieved everything that happened to him and began to repudiate the messages that his parents gave him, he rediscovered that gift, started getting gradually uh, more and more got involved in community theater in the area and got worked his way up to regional theater. Wow. And about 10 years ago, he moved to New York City, broke, broke the ties here, moved to New York City, and now he, he is an actor. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So he was able, but he needed to go through and heal to reconnect to what he really enjoys doing, what his gifts really are. Absolutely, yeah. He had to face a lot of negative images of himself, that I'm a failure, I'm no good, if I do this, I'll end up living in a box under the bridge. All the messages that he got from his parents hmm. and had to face all those. And for, you know, a number of years, there was a lot of fear. But one day at a time, he kept putting one foot in front of the other and did it. Hmm. So obviously I'm a huge fan of yours and coaching and working with other people, but let's say that somebody's listening and they're not quite ready to reach out. Do you have any, like, I don't want to say practical, but is there any advice or any step-by-step -step tips that they could use to start working through some of 
the shame and working through some of em embracing some of the pain. Yes, start attending meetings if if you have if they're available in your area of ACA um, Adult Children of Alcoholics. You can go to their website, which I think is adultchildren.org, and there is a meeting finder there and start going to meetings where you'll find uh, a like-minded community of supporters, all of whom are starting to work on this stuff. And there's also Codependence Anonymous. I forget what their website is. It might be coda.org, but I'm not really entirely sure. And that group is also involved in this kind of work. They can um, start journaling. They can start uh, sharing in meetings and slowly as they become safe start opening up. My experience in meetings is that you will be able to access a certain amount of this stuff, but not necessarily all of it, because some of it's quite volatile. Um, but it is a very good place to start. You can read. There are uh, certainly books in the area. The ACA has their own basic text. It's called the ACA Red Book which you can buy on Amazon, or I believe you can buy it on the ACA website, Codependence Anonymous. I don't know if they have literature or not at this point, but um, there's all kinds of other literature out there along these, these lines. So that it's you can get started um, pretty much right away. You mentioned journaling, and I'm just going to bring this up because sometimes I have trouble. Like, I'll sit down and not quite, not be sure what to journal on. Do you have any questions or any, like, a start of a sentence that somebody could start with or anything like that? Um, like, things I heard as a child or, like, anything. Yeah, like or what I'm going through now. Why am I, ask yourself questions like, why am I involved in this? these dysfunctional relationships, what am I getting out of it? And um, my advice is to not think. That's good advice. Because if you think, then you're in editing mode. And editing mode means being critical and it totally interrupts the flow. Instead, just kind of let it flow without, you can edit it later, tomorrow or the next day. Just let out what's coming up on paper. No matter how seemingly, people say, oh, it's not, you know, organized. Yeah, so what? Yeah. You can organize it later. Just the, get it out. I'm going to jump on that too and say pretty much every phone, at least every smartphone has a recording device. And I've been shocked at some of the things that have come out of my mouth 
if somebody wants to just start their phone, start recording, go for a walk or get out in nature and just start talking. And then I wouldn't listen to it right then, but maybe a few days later when you're in a space, come back and listen to it and take notes and really, you'll be surprised what you learn about yourself and how intelligent you are and how how hurt you are in certain areas that you might not even know about. So I agree. I, I like think that. that's a really, really good idea. Uh, especially for people who have difficulty writing, you know, just start talking into your cell phone. Yeah. Or into a handheld little voice recorder. You can do it in the car. You can do it when you're mm -hmm. out on the move. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. So, um, how would somebody know if they're ready to take that, except maybe they, they're ready to work with you or somebody that does what you do? Have they already started some of this work, or can they start in if they've never even looked at it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the key question is willingness and honesty and a recognition that... Uh, our dog. And a recognition that my current life isn't working for me and that I'm unhappy and that I suspect that it's due to the things we've been talking about and to, you know, childhood abuse or dysfunction. The, the, quest, the key question is always willingness. Mm. Yeah. I have, back in 2009, I remember going through like yet another relationship that ended the same way that all the others had. And I had a relationship coach who was a friend of mine at the time that I reached out to and I was like, okay, I'm done doing this. And we went in and worked on some core relationships for me. And I didn't even think what we were doing was, I'm like, why am I working on stuff with my brother when really I, I want to be working on stuff with the man that I want to be with. Right. And it was amazing though because I threw myself in, I did all the work, I felt everything that I could to the best of my ability when we were going through it. That was 2009 and in 2012, I um, got back together with the man that's now my husband. We got married in 2013. That could, yeah, we got married in 2013 had our son in 2014 and this relationship while it ha it could be crazy like the other ones have been it hasn't been and it was because I went back and I healed some of those wounds and that's why when you initially reached out to me and I saw what you were doing on your on your website and stuff I just I love that I know it works firsthand mm -hmm. and so you know I don't know if you work with people that aren't in recovery necessarily but anybody if you want something different there's something at the core that needs to be healed and mm -hmm. you know well, that, that would put them in recovery wouldn't it yeah it would it doesn't necessarily have to be that they've gone to 12-step meetings or that they had a chemical addiction or anything like that right no it does not and what you said is quite valid that the way we, how we became is a direct result of the dynamics in our family. Yep. So that's a, a good place to start is to examine the nature of your relationships 
with your family, your parents, your siblings, friends, etc. Yeah. Well, I love I love the work that you're doing. I think it's valid and important Thank for you. all of us to have. So, um, is there anything else like once somebody's gone through and they've journaled or they've felt some of that pain and they've grieved? What's next? Well, trying new behaviors um, gradually. My advice is if you're going to start this and be very serious about it, that there might need to be a period where you're not in, in re intimate relationships because they're too powerful. You'll, yeah. My experience is you'll be drawn back into that you know zone but instead give yourself some time a year or two to work on yourself and develop these new relationships behaviors and new life behaviors without the overwhelming emotional um, magnetism so to speak of being in close intimate relationships Start exploring new career paths. Start exploring what you really want in a relationship or life itself. What kind of life do you want to be building? Um, there are tests. If you don't know who you are, there are personality tests out there uh, that can help. Um, and by all means, if possible, get a soundboard, somebody like me or somebody along those lines who can help you sort of focus and, and move forward because sometimes this stuff can be overwhelming. Definitely. And sometimes we think we're going in the direction that we want to be going in to get what we want, and then someone like you can point it out and say, oh, no, like, yeah. you're taking yourself right back down that same path, and let's yeah. try this over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so important. So why don't you, and I'll obviously have all this in the show notes, but tell everybody where they can find you or connect with you if they'd like to talk to you. Sure. It's Dr. Dean Robb, my website is uh, nextstagerecovery.com. My email is drrob, D-R-R-O-B-B, at nextstagerecovery.com. My office phone is 908-757-4721. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Next Stage Recovery, and I'm on Twitter at, I should know this, at Recovery with, Recover with Dean. Recover with I, Dean. Yeah. Where are you, are you active on Facebook and Twitter? Like if somebody reaches out to you there, they get back, you get back yeah. to them? Mm -hmm. Awesome. So there's lots of ways to get a hold of you. And if anybody wants to reach out, have any questions, schedule a consultation, you're available for all that, right? 
Absolutely. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time today. I look forward to our next conversation. I don't have my list in front of me. Do you know what we're going to be talking about next time? Nope. <laughs> It'll be a surprise. Yeah. Um, no, we're taking it in deeper. I don't remember what it is either. I have it on my whiteboard over on the other side of the wall. But thank you so much. And thank you. I look forward to talking to you again next week in, in uh, having a brand new episode. Thank you. Stay warm back there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. That one was pretty impactful with a lot of practical tips. So you can come back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 40, where I've broken down a lot of the notes for you. And um, if not right away, at some point in the near future, I'll also have work that you can download, like a worksheet or checklist that you can download if you would like to do that and take your work on to the next level. Be sure to reach out to Dr. Dean if you would like to work with him or you want to find out more information about working for him. And I look forward to connecting with you next week when Dr. Dean, Rob, and I will take a deeper dive and look into the question, what is emotional sobriety? Until next time, I see you surrounded with light and love. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com. Thank you.